And so in John chapter 3, I want to introduce you to the original Nick at night. Anybody remember Nick at night from the from when when your children were small or I don't even know if it's still on or now or not, but Nick at night, this is the original one, Nicodemus. In Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. That's Nick at night. That's Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Now John Wilson, one of our members, wrote a poem and he entitled it Nick at Night. And this is the way John's poem goes. This is the opening part of John's poem. Nicodemus came at night to meet with Jesus and set things right. Then Jesus said, to conquer sin, you must believe and be born again. Be born again? How can that be? Can my mom re-deliver me? My favorite line, John, out of that poem. Then Jesus said, here's the message, hear it. You must be born of water and the Spirit. And then John's poem goes on. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, leadership. of, and And he was in charge of, of teaching, and he was highly respected, and he had a lot of authority. He was a Pharisee. Um, now, there's a lot of speculation about why, Jesus, why Nicodemus would come to Jesus at night. Some would say that he came to Jesus at night because he was afraid to be seen with him. I've got friends like that. We'll just leave it at that. Some say that it wasn't, it wasn't that he was afraid to be seen with Jesus. It was the fact that, that he knew he would wanted more time than he could get during the day, and so he came at night for that reason. We really don't know why Nicodemus came at night. John just simply says that he did. That he came at night, and I want you to notice again what it was that Nicodemus said to Jesus. Coming from a Pharisee, coming from a member of the Sanhedrin, this is quite a statement. You know, when he, when he says to him, now, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's a pretty good statement, don't you think? I mean, if I made that statement about Jesus, you might conclude that I was a follower of Jesus. And the problem today is we have a lot of people who say a lot of good things about Jesus and it's, and it's wrong to conclude that they're necessarily a follower. And the problem is that they may not even know they're not really a follower because after all, they think Jesus is pretty cool. They think Jesus has got a lot of good things to say. And so that's why Jesus' response catches Nicodemus off guard. You'll notice that is, that in, in verse three, he says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I mean, Nicodemus has just said, Jesus, this is what we know. And here's something that I think is important for us. Nicodemus's response in verse 4 tells us what he didn't know. If you've got your Bible, take a look at verse 4. Nicodemus asked this question. 
How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Well, Dave, that makes sense. But by Nicodemus saying that, what was he saying? He was saying that he did not understand what Jesus was saying. At best, he did not understand it. Likely, he doubted it. And there are a lot of times that people today will say, Jesus has, says a lot of good things, but I doubt that he really is everything the Bible says he is. And folks, if we want new life, we have to come to Jesus on his terms, believing him to be who he says to be in the entirety of his description of himself. And the entirety of his description of himself is what is contained in God's word, the Bible. Nicodemus says, now wait a minute, I just said something nice about you and now you go and say something ridiculous. I don't understand it. Here's the good news. Jesus did not say to Nicodemus, well, if you don't get it, forget it. We're sometimes prone to that. And if you don't get it, just never mind, just go away. We may have that frustration level with people at times. We've tried and we've tried and we've tried. Well, if you don't get it, just forget it. But Jesus didn't say that. Thankfully, right? Thankfully, Jesus didn't say that. But he goes on then to explain it. And this is where, if you're filling in blanks, you must be born again. And this is a whole new concept. And that's what it was so hard for, what was so hard for Nicodemus. Nicodemus could only see it in the physical. Nicodemus could only understand it from that. And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus said, and correctly, it's a physical impossibility. And what Jesus wanted him to say was, Nick, you're right. But I'm not talking about just physical. And so if you have your Bibles, let's continue to read, beginning in verse 5. Jesus answered, he said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I like that last phrase. Nicodemus, don't be surprised at what I am saying. And Nicodemus was very surprised at what he was saying. There are times when we see and we hear and we read we, what God is saying, and we are surprised. We are surprised at it. It's almost unbelievably, uh, uh, it's almost unbelievable that, that he would say that. Because in our mind, it's not a possibility. And Jesus said, don't be surprised. Let me tell you what it means. What does it mean to be born of water? Now, let me tell you what it does not mean. Kenny Bowles is a retired professor of Greek and New Testament at Ozark Christian College. And as he taught about John 3 in this section, uh, he says that, he pointed out that there are some churches, some, some thoughts that say that all that Jesus was talking about here was physical birth. And it says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the, enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water. And they say what Jesus was really simply talking about was physical birth. And they say that's, that's all it means. 
And Professor Bowles then says, but is that really what the Scripture says? And the answer is no, that is not what Scripture says. And Kenny goes on to point out that what those people that teach that are saying is that what Jesus was referring to was the amniotic fluid and and then when the water breaks and then all of those kind of things, that's that's all Jesus was talking about. The only problem is, in the Greek language, that is not the word that is used. And that is not what Jesus had in mind. You see, they want it to be something other than baptism because they don't want baptism to be that important. They don't want baptism to be something that is required of them. And so they they look at that and they go, well, he must have been talking about the physical birth because then he talks about the spiritual birth. It is interesting, though, that there is, according to, according to Kenny Bowles, that there is no place in Greek scholarship, in classical Greek lexicons or, di- or dictionaries, that the word for amniotic fluid is ever interchanged with the word hudor, which is the Greek word for water that is used here. No place. Jesus is talking here about the spiritual act. He is talking about the physical act of burial in water. Um, And yes, there is a Greek word for the amniotic fluid. What Jesus was saying was that a person must be baptized and must have the spiritual rebirth of the Holy Spirit to be saved. It's interesting that even John Calvin, in his commentary on John 3, says, It is true indeed that we are excluded from salvation if we neglect baptism, and in this sense, I confess it's necessary. Interesting coming from from John Calvin, who followers now would say, that's really not that important. Baptism is not that important. So what did Jesus mean? He is simply saying there is this physical act of baptism that is a part. It's not the only part. It's not even the most important part, but it is a part. What he's saying is that all of it together is how we come to accept Jesus Christ. That's how we enter into new life. So what did Jesus mean by born of the Spirit? I'd like for you to turn with me over to Titus chapter 3 and take a look at that passage of Scripture. Titus chapter 3 beginning in verse 3 when we talk about what it means to be born of the Spirit. Jesus said, man must be born of water and born of the Spirit. What does he mean by the Spirit? In Titus chapter 3, Paul writing to the young preacher Titus says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. When did that happen? When did the kindness and love of God our Savior appear? That was Jesus. When Jesus appeared. That's why it is important to understand who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He is the Son of God. He is Christ the Messiah. He is the one in whom and the only one through whom we can have eternal life. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Baptism is not something that we do 
In fact, when you watch baptisms take place, baptism is something that is done to someone. It is interesting, anytime you get a group of preachers together and start talking about baptism, we all have baptism stories about what has taken place and what, what happened. And I just recently was talking with someone who talked about how that their, the heater had shut off in the baptistry. And that when the family walked out, when he was getting ready to baptize the family, that the water was really cold. And that they got into the water and they baptized dad, they baptized mom. But when the kids hit the water, they didn't have the same self-control that mom and dad had. And they were things like, wow, it's cold! Kind of breaks the mood, you know? I had another friend who was in a small church that had a baptistry that, that was heated with, with the same kind, with a sub, submergible heater thing. You know, like you used to have in, in the aquariums. I, 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 I fixed sushi. I didn't, re- well, I guess it wasn't sushi because you don't even boil it. I don't know what it was, but I, I lost a lot of goldfish with, with my, my aquarium that had the heater that didn't turn off and it just kept heating. That's what happened to my friend's baptistry. And when we went to baptize the young lady that afternoon, the water was scalding hot. And so they were trying to get enough water out and get enough water in, and they were out in the country. They had to go get the water truck and all those kind of things to make it happen. And and I meant it in the best way, but I don't think the young lady appreciated it nearly as much as I saw the humor in it when I said to her, Sweetheart, not only today were you saved, you were sanitized. Probably not so much. She was bright red. So we have our baptism story. But what is that? How does that connect to being born also of the Spirit? Titus, or Paul says to Titus, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the Apostle Peter stood up to preach and people said, what? After they heard the message, what shall we do? We are guilty of the death of the Messiah. What shall we do? And Jesus said to them, what? Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive what? The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. To be born of the Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. When Jesus was having this conversation with Nicodemus, He was saying, Nicodemus, the reason I'm having this conversation with you is that it is so important that you understand what eternal life is all about and how you enter into it. And folks, that's still the conversation that Jesus wants to have with us. Maybe you have never had that kind of conversation with Jesus. And today, you're hearing some things and you're saying, I really have never thought about it that way. You see, we too often are like Nicodemus and we say, this is what we know. And we're satisfied with what we know. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, there is more than what you know. You must 
be born again. And that's important for us to be able to convey to the people that we care about. The new birth and, rep- and, and regeneration, it's not a successive a stage in spiritual experience. It, rather, it's the same event with different aspects of it. The new birth stresses the communication of spiritual life in contrast to spiritual death. Regeneration stresses the inception of a new start of things. I am starting brand new. In fact, Kenny Bowles talked about how that in the word that is used here for new life, it is that which is referenced in the classics as what happens in spring with new life coming into existence. The new birth that works of the Holy Spirit uh, by which the soul, which is previously dead because of sin, creates anew in Christ our new righteousness. Um, if you have your text you're in John chapter 3, to go back to John chapter 3, there's one more thing I want to just point out real quickly. I want to touch on it. Because as Jesus is having his conversation with Nicodemus, You'll notice in verses 14 and 15, he makes a reference, Jesus makes a reference to an Old Testament event. And it is significant. And Jesus would made this reference to Nicodemus because Nicodemus would have been fully cognizant of all of the Old Testament and all of the teachings and all of the stories and all of the events that took place. And in verse 14, it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is still connecting my belief with eternal life. But he uses this Old Testament reference. And this is what is significant about that. In Numbers chapter 21, we find the Israelites grumbling. Surprise, surprise. We find the Israelites grumbling against Moses and against God. And God sends snakes into their midst poisonous snakes that bite them, and they begin to die. I'll let Brian preach the sermon that explains why God would do that. Anytime you want to, Brian, go ahead, buddy. That's what took place. And the people cry out and say, Oh, I think we messed up. Yeah, I think you did. And God says to Moses, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to craft out of bronze, a snake, a serpent, to shape it, craft it. I want you to place it on a pole, and I want you to raise the pole up, and then anyone who is bitten can turn and look at that bronze snake, and if they will turn and look at that, they will be healed. I can't imagine anybody suffering from snake bite who would go, well, that's kind of ridiculous. I don't I kind of see what difference it's going to make if I, you know, and... I got a feeling that most people were like, where's the snake? Where, where is it? Jesus said, this is kind of like what happened in Moses' time. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, the Son of Man, referring to himself, will also be lifted up. And notice what he says, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is still connecting belief and eternal life, obedience and eternal life. 
Jesus says, this is what's taking place. Here and then also in John 12, Jesus makes this reference. And then in John 12, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. All in the midst of a discussion about eternal life. I'm going to be lifted up. This is going to be just like when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent and the people turned and looked on it and they were saved. The same thing is going to happen when I am lifted up. When was Jesus lifted up, by the way? Do we know that? The crucifixion, right? When Jesus was lifted up and raised up on the cross. And by my faith, your faith, in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, I have the hope of eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. Isn't that a beautiful picture? One of the things that, that, that is important for us now, we're going to be talking about perhaps the most loved verse of all the New Testament, John 3.16. For God so loved. So let's take a look at that. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Have you ever heard anybody who's really ticked at God because they think that all that God wants to do is condemn people? And right here it's, it tells us, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent His Son into the world to save it. And so to the person who says, Ah, God's just mad and God just wants to condemn people. And so... This is what I know. I don't believe it. Boy, isn't that a dangerous position to be in? Isn't that a wrong conclusion to arrive? Whoever believes in Him, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's pretty clear, don't you think? God says, I don't want anyone to perish. I want everyone to experience the eternal life that I make available. And here's how you do it. You do it through my Son, Jesus. If you skip all the way to the end, to, to verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. I want you to notice the sequence. Life comes after belief. Your blanks say belief before life. No one is entitled to eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift by the mercy and grace of God. It is a gift that follows your belief in, your acceptance of, and your obedience to Christ. Notice that we talk about to believe means literally to obey. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement that Jesus was a good teacher. 
It is an obedience to what Jesus commanded us to do. You see, there is a danger there also because we may know a lot about what Jesus taught, but we may not obey it. And we may, we may mislead ourselves thinking, I know so much that surely that's the same as being obedient, but it's not. He says, to believe literally means that I will do what he has told me to do. Believing in Jesus. You see, he was a good teacher. That's what Nicodemus believed. And Nicodemus thought he was being gracious and generous by telling this, this itinerant preacher Jesus, we know, we, plural, talking about some of his pharisaical friends, we know you're a good teacher. Boy, we've heard that. Man, I love to hear you teach. You heard anybody ever say that? I love to hear that guy preach. Oh, I just love to hear that guy preach. Have you done what he called you to do? No, but I love to hear that guy preach. You see, that's kind of where Nicodemus was, wasn't it? I believe that means that I obey, and that is what equals my life. If I believe that God is love, but I'm not loving toward other people, how valid is my belief? Christian, you see how this applies? Oh, I believe God is love. But if your mouth is full of hatred, if you are so hard for people to get around, to be around, because you are just such a crabby, hateful person, don't tell me how much you believe that God is love. Because God wants His love to be evident in you and flow through you. So maybe there's something that we need to write down at the bottom of the margin. Um, I need to work on being more loving because I really do believe God is love. I really believe that the Bible is God's Word. But if I live a life that is contrary to what the Scripture teaches, how much do I believe? That God's, that the Bible is God's word. You see where I'm going. You understand what we're talking about here. This is, this is how life becomes real life. But to reject it, to disobey it, scripture is very clear about that also. That we remain. Notice, he who rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. What does it mean to remain? If something is remaining, that means it was there beforehand, right? You see, I was lost in sin. God's wrath was on me because of my sin. Had I not accepted the gift of God's eternal life, I would have remained under God's wrath. So that tells us that there's a real critical decision that you have to make if you have never chosen to be obedient to Christ's teaching, you remain under the wrath of God. That's a serious position to be in, don't you think? If I remain the way I once was, when Jesus gives me the opportunity to be made new, to have new life, 
Would I not be better served accepting the new life that Jesus by His grace gives? Why would I want to remain over there under that wrath? I want to, uh, I want us to conclude by just, I want to tell you a little bit more about Nicodemus. If you go to, toward the end of the book of John, John chapter 19, we find Nicodemus again. And I want you to notice the context. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38, later, later meaning after the crucifixion, later after Christ died, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, notice this. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. So maybe since maybe since Joseph was, couldn't we say, a silent believer, a private believer, until he actually witnessed the crucifixion, until he actually saw Christ die, maybe that Nicodemus had been converted, was a believer, but he too was silent. But now it was time to be silent no more. Maybe Nicodemus had come at night because he was afraid of the Jews, just the way Joseph was. But now it's time to no longer remain silent. Nicodemus came and Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. They would know how that was supposed to be carried out. But they also had seen the crucifixion. They also had seen Christ be lifted up. And it made all the difference in the world. My prayer for you today is that you have had a glimpse in a very fresh way of Jesus being lifted up. And it's going to make all the difference in your world for the rest of your life. Because you see Him lifted up. You recognize that only by your faith in Christ, only by your obedience to Jesus, Only by the birth in the water and in the Spirit can you enter into eternal life with Christ. And today you said, you know what, that makes sense. And I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. That's where new life is, folks. And we need to be reminded of that. And even today, you can begin that walk. You've seen the Christ lifted up. And now are you ready to respond? Father, I thank you that you give to us today this opportunity, this chance to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I really believe in you. It's not just a matter of intellectually saying you really are a good teacher. It's saying, Jesus, 
I need you to be my Savior. I need you to do what only you can do, and that is to take away my sin. Jesus, I need you not only to forgive my sin, but to deliver me from sin. Jesus, I believe in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.